G'day legends, Josh here from deadsetpodcasting.com and this is actually the comeback episode for the podcaster's survival guide. So why the move away from the Dead Set Podcasting show name and why the podcaster's survival guide? So there's a fair bit to this story but I'll try and keep it short for this intro. Dead Set Podcasting is still happening, the brand is still growing on the editing side But I guess the first reason I wanted to have a standalone show name is so it's more clear to the people listening that come across the show or listen regularly that the main point of the show is to help people, to share a lot of the mistakes that I've made, to bring on great guests that have knowledge that I don't have, and just to build independent podcasting from a place of, I guess, to coin one of those potentially guru-ish words that I usually don't like transparency and I didn't want it to feel like a veiled ad for my editing service on deadsetpodcasting.com so the other reason is and I won't go into too much detail about this but I never really wanted to move away from the podcaster's survival guide originally it's just that the co-host that I had at the time Josh he's not with us anymore by that I mean that he passed away a few years ago and I just couldn't at the time envisage moving forward with the show without him being involved. Although the first period of the show, Josh wasn't actually involved. It was only towards the end of the podcaster survival guide. I guess I just couldn't get myself sorted at the time to move forward with that name. But the reason I'm bringing it back, and it's partly out of tribute to Josh and some of the things that I learned off him, podcasting can be a pure passion-based exercise. And the closest name when it's come to the different podcasts about podcasting that I've made over the years to who I am as a creator and a thinker is the podcaster's survival guide. The way that I like to help people isn't sharing theories and ideas and overtly positive BS to try and sell your stuff. It's to share mistakes. And I think that there's more truth in a mistake than quite often there is in what appears to be the truth of something. So it's just the perfect name. And to be honest, it would have always been that, but still housed on deadsetpodcasting.com, both because I want to have it all in one place, but that's kind of, if you are interested in editing, that's where it kind of, I guess, asks you to go check out. But I just had so much emotion around it at the time and losing Josh, and I just couldn't move forward with that name. So... I guess this episode, if anything, proves that you can change your mind about stuff in podcasting or if you have more or less emotion around something, you can either go back to it or you can move away from it. And it's not going to end your career as a podcaster. If anything, podcasting can just map along with real life, which it has in this case. So what I'm going to do for the next month is share a couple of my favorite interviews from the first series of the podcaster survival guide including today's guest which is Bandrew Scott we've also got Rob Greenley, Ray Ortega and Chris Curran so I picked the episodes where I think the advice this would have been 2017 2018 still holds up in 2021 so I haven't picked them by who I liked the most or who I thought was the greatest or who I'm trying to reconnect with it's none of that it's just their advice was broad enough or the interviews themselves were funny enough, like with Chris Curran, that they just don't sound dated. And then from the start of September, I'll have new interviews coming, probably longer form again, more like what you're going to hear today, which I'm really excited about. And I think I've gotten better as an interviewer. When I when I was listening back to these, I'm like, wow, I thought that I was actually good at this in 2017, 2018. And I'm not saying that I am now, but I've come a long way even since then. So you guys will get to hear two versions of me if nothing else. So thank you for sticking with me, guys, and welcome to, I guess, the second season, I don't know, of the podcaster's survival guide. Okay, enjoy Bandrew. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcaster's survival guide. My name is Josh. And just so we don't miss the tagline for the show, this is the complete protection from the podcasting gurus of which we have another non-guru today. He's an anti-guru, I think, like myself. Well, that's what I aspire to be. It's Bandrew Scott from the Bandrew Says Podcast, the podcast YouTube channel, 
and the umbrella brand for all those things, Geek Rising. How are you going, Bedrick? Doing well, Josh. Thanks for having me. And I hope that I am an anti-guru. I, <laughs> I hope I put that idea out there. I don't want people looking at me like a guru. I tell people, look elsewhere for information also. Don't just trust me. Yeah, that's it. The sign, that's probably number one on the anti-guru checklist. You don't think you have all the answers. So I guess we're going to have a reasonably broad conversation today, which is not really that common for the podcast at Survival Guide. Normally we get kind of, you know, practitioners of a certain type on the show, but Bandra is doing so many different things that I thought we'll definitely talk about video because you're the first okay. video podcast we've had on the show and I have zero expertise in that field. If we just go back a step from that, I remember you saying with the Bandra Says podcast that you started off with one intention for the show and then you didn't feel great about it. And I think that's probably one of the things that enthusiast podcasters all suffer from is have right. I started the show that I wanted to make and is this actually turning out to be something I'm happy to keep doing? Can you just talk us through that period and maybe how you were feeling when you were making those decisions about the show? Yeah. So when I launched the Bander Says podcast, I was watching a lot of John Oliver and I was going in with this idea, I'm going to solve the world's problems. So after eight weeks of doing that and just getting more and more depressed because I'm looking at gun violence and online bullying and suicide rates, all these kind of terrible topics it just wore me down to the point where I said, hey, I, I'm doing this for fun and it's not fun anymore. So I took a step back and reassessed what I was actually doing with my life. Why was I podcasting and what could I talk about that would bring me more joy? So I just went with more general tech as opposed to trying to solve gun violence, because if the smartest people in the world can't solve it, why would I be arrogant enough to think that I could? So, so I went with tech and, and that just gives me an excuse to, uh, to actually read up on the news every single week, because if I didn't do the podcast, I wouldn't have the time to do it. So it's more just something fun for me to do and a way to allocate time in my schedule to stay on top of the news. Okay. So two things out of that, when you relaunched the show, did you straight away know that you wanted to take a much lighter kind of stance just in general? And how did you actually choose tech? Like, what was it about tech? Was it just out of interest and you tried to meld those things together? Or was the show kind of tech-centric anyway and you just made it less serious? Like, what was actually going on there? Yeah, so, so as far as taking a lighter touch and a lighter approach to stuff, absolutely that was intentional because after eight episodes, I, I found myself being miserable. <laughs> and it started to leech back into the podcast where I let my paranoia and conspiracy theory uh, tinfoil hat start to come back in and I share those ideas, but it's not all encompassing. So it's not as taxing emotionally on me. And then the way I landed on tech, it's just, that's what's always fascinated me. I've always been interested in new cool gadgets and, and tools that can help you accomplish stuff more efficiently. And, and that's what led me to talking about tech because I wanted to go through all the nonsense out there and find out what's the newest tool, what's the newest thing that will help me podcast better or make YouTube videos better or run Excel sheets better. Any of these things is it's just a way of becoming more efficient. But I didn't want to be as dry as I've heard some podcasts be about tech. So I, I throw in some self-deprecation, some <laughs> conspiracy theory stuff, you know, just to keep it more interesting, at least for me to listen to. Because if I didn't want to listen to my podcast, I, I wouldn't expect anybody else to. Agreed. So I guess there's probably other people other than myself right now thinking, did you have an audience for the show and did you lose that audience? And what is it actually like to occupy a space where conspiracy and all of those types of things actually feed into that kind of mindset. How did that little process roll out? So I was doing a podcast before the Bander Says podcast, which I ended up killing. Then when I started the Bander Says podcast, there really wasn't much audience. It was maybe 30 or 40 people from who I knew already. They were my friends. They were acquaintances. A couple of them 
dropped off, and and I'm sure by now all of them have. I wouldn't expect my family and friends to listen to me rant for 30 minutes every single week, especially since most of them don't know what a podcast is. So I, I guess you could say I did lose some audience, but I think my mental health and my enjoyment of creating a podcast was more important than making sure the audience was happy because if you're miserable as a podcaster, more specifically a hobby podcaster, why are you even doing it? You're not making money off of it. It's not feeding you. Why are you going to make yourself miserable? It didn't make any sense to me. Like I know it's a massive difference, I guess, in scale, but sometimes when I listen to the Waking Up podcast by Sam Harris, he's got all these brilliant guests on and he's such a brilliant thinker himself. Don't always agree with his stance, but he's a very smart man. I always I find myself thinking, how do you actually spend so much of your time with ideas of that magnitude just weighing you down? Like I don't I, I find it exhausting as a listener to listen to the topics that people like that talk about, <laughs> let alone yeah, be I, the actual person that's talking about them. Like it must be really heavy. And I never really thought about it until I heard you make that little change that if you choose a topic for a podcast, it might not actually be all that great for you in the long term. Yeah, yeah. I, I was listening to Waking Up pretty much every single week. And then I heard the Jordan Peterson episode that was just a train wreck. Yeah, And like, that just wore me down so much. I was like, I need a break from this podcast for a little bit. This was too heavy. Yeah, that I think from memory, they couldn't agree on the definition of truth, which, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was two hours of listening to two brilliant people disagree <laughs> with each other about one particular thing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, you, you got to have fun with it yourself. And then you got to make sure that your audience is going to have fun listening as well. Yeah. Because if, if you just get too heady, people are going to abandon you. So I guess now that we've got a little bit of the lay of the land, maybe we'll just talk about quickly what each of the different properties is that you have a hand in at the moment. The Bandrew Scott podcast is called Bandrew Says or Bandrew Says. I'm not sure how. Am I, I'm being probably very Australian there. Did you just want to? <laughs> yeah, it's called the Bandrew Says podcast. And, and initially it was titled that because I was sharing my opinion about world topics, but now it's just talking about technology and what's been going on over the last week. And recently it's been more screaming about YouTube demonetization and algorithms and Facebook stealing all your information and Google tracking you and just going completely off the deep end. Just a side note, my housemate, he's deep into the Android world and he knows okay. he knows a lot about it and he's been working for a big telecommunications company here and he sells the phones and he loves everything about them. And he was showing me his new S8 the other day. And the, the screen on that phone is one of the most magnificent things I've ever seen. And then about yeah. an hour later, we were talking about microphones that we were going to use to film a particular YouTube piece of content that we're building. And he started to get served ads by like the next Google search that he did about the microphones oh, we were talking God. about. And he never looked at them before. He never searched for them. He never, any of the words by any of the companies, the phone itself was listening to us talk. I, I hadn't heard that about Android. I'd heard that uh, speculation about Facebook, uh, but I hadn't heard that about Android. I did hear that Android or Google was tracking people based on their location to multiple cell towers, even if all your location services were turned off. So it's getting to a level of big brother I, I I just want to smash every single cell phone around me yeah. and, and move to the woods <laughs> just to be safe. Yeah, I'm just going to have to build a little cabin out of iPhones at the moment. I can't quite give up on yeah. iOS yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm an iOS user. <laughs> the, uh, so the podcast YouTube channel is basically yeah. a gear review channel with your kind of original take and your sarcastic flair and obviously great production values and all those kinds of things. Is there anything, when you pitch that to people, what is it that's different about your channel to other people's? Well, first off, thank you. That was very nice of you. So the way that I pitch it is I review microphones, but while I'm reviewing the microphone, I'm using the microphone. So you're actually going to be able to hear how the mic sounds uh, before you make a decision. Because when I was researching what microphone to get for my podcast, I was scouring YouTube and 
now I've found some videos that had been up for a couple of years, but I hadn't found them when I was researching. The majority of reviews that I found were just people unboxing a microphone for 10 minutes and talking about how their day was and then not including a test of the microphone. Now, I'm sure some people would critique me and say I'm not advanced enough. I don't dive into the frequency response or the off-axis colorization or any of that stuff. But I think that if somebody wants to know that level of detail, chances are they're smart enough and well-versed in microphones to look at a specification sheet and decipher that themselves. And, and I just wanted to make videos with the information that I found useful. So I'll talk into the microphone or the interface the entire review and people started asking, oh, well, how does it sound on an acoustic guitar, on an electric guitar for singing? So I started adding music tests in the reviews, and I also do polar pattern tests. I do background noise tests. I do distance tests to see what kind of proximity effect you can get. Or if you're one of those crazy people who thinks you can't have a microphone in frame for your video, I test it from a foot or two away. I can't stand that idea. <laughs> you can't have a microphone in frame. Yes, you can. Ah, drives me nuts. <laughs> Just one thing that comes to mind when you mention that. My first podcasting microphone was a Heil PR40. And the reason, okay. the reason why that I purchased that mic to begin with was because a certain portion of the internet that I discovered through Google searching, because they all had great SEO, we're all talking about how this mic is the be-all and end-all of podcasting microphones. And me being someone that had been involved with music and bands and had been in studios... I should have been more judicious at the time and actually looked beyond the little crowd of affiliate marketers that were pushing that particular product and actually went online to find the reviews. But it's what I love about your channel, and this isn't just because you're a guest on the show today, but you actually you focus just as much on what the mic can't do as what it actually can do. And a lot of people don't do that because I found the mic is useless other than for spoken word. Like you can't do any, anything with a high PR40, even to the, the same level of quality as an SM58. If you're micing a cabinet, if you're trying to sing into the microphone, if you're trying to mic a kick drum, it doesn't work as well as some of the others, even though it is meant to be a kick drum mic. Like it's basically, unless your voice sounds good on that microphone, you're out four to $500 Australian and probably 350 US for a mic that may or may not suit your voice. And they also don't talk about the fact that it's a very sibilant microphone. So oh, yeah. I'm sure that your channel probably upsets people that are really, really fans of a certain microphone because you're not actually afraid to say, well, it's actually not real good for this. And when I sang into it, it sounded like rubbish. When I mic'd up the cab, it sounded like really, really crap. <laughs> do, you get, yeah. do you get pushback from the mic purists in the podcasting space? Surprisingly not. I don't think a lot of the podcast gurus know who I am or care who I am. Yeah. <laughs> they just know what they like. And they it seems like they stay within their inner circle. Yeah. When I was first starting out, I actually reached out to one of the gurus. I'm not going to say who it was. And I asked them if they wanted to do an interview or talk and put it on YouTube. And I just got no response. And then another guy just grilled me about why the heck he should do it. Why should I do this interview with you? What value are you offering me? I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I don't care about these people. They're kind of dicks. I just want nothing to do with them. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> so, so, so no, I don't get kickback from them no. or pushback from them. Yeah, that's right. I think a lot of it has to do with it. I've, I've been told that maybe I'm being a little bit, I don't know how you would put it, but that I'm actually, you know, high on my own supply when I say this a little bit. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've recommended something in the past very heavily and they've got a lot of affiliate links out there in the world and a lot of old, mm -hmm. and they just can't bring themselves to, to disagree with what they've already said because it might actually impact all those pages that people stumble upon on the internet. That, that's something that drives me insane. People who aren't willing to admit that they're wrong, I, I think that that, is a, that signifies somebody that's stupid. If somebody won't admit I'm wrong and I need to grow. Oh, I've learned something new that proved what I said six months ago to be incorrect. That tells me that if somebody's willing to admit that they're wrong, that's somebody I'm willing to trust. 
that's my take on it. Yeah. That's why I, if, if I've recommended something and then I got, got a lot of feedback saying, hey, it's busted now, I, I've made videos saying, hey, ignore this video that I made six months ago recommending this USB sound card because it's garbage now. Don't waste your money. <laughs> well, I think that honestly, I don't think there's anything that I've discovered in my first 12 months of podcasting that I don't think is wrong now. Pretty much everything I think that I've learned up until maybe two years ago, I was either wrong or I was slightly off base. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I appreciate you admitting that. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I start from the standpoint that I'm probably wrong. And hopefully, oh, hopefully it comes across that way because that's what this show is about. And hopefully that's our point of difference, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. just to round up on all the properties that you have, Geeks Rising, I think that was a brand that existed prior to. The Bandra Says podcast yeah. and podcastage from what I understand. Yeah, so that started, that was actually my first attempt at a podcast. And I was drinking at the time and me and my buddy would get together and I'd end up just getting hammered drunk about halfway through and every episode would be a train wreck. And <laughs> after five months, we had, I think, five episodes and I just was like, we can't do this anymore. So I liked the name and I like the idea that it portrayed where... We're trying to help other people who are geeks or who are passionate about a really specific topic. We want to help them improve their whatever they're working on. So right now it's mainly two things. I, I do audio reviews or mic reviews. And my buddy, for a while, he was writing about comics because he was diving into writing comics and getting them published. And in his podcast, he shares the process that he has to go through to get there. So it moved away from doing written articles and stuff like that. Now it's just mainly the the two podcasts that stay there. And I, I got so busy that I can't write up written reviews and analysis of microphones to throw on the website either. So it's really just a place to host a couple of podcasts at this point. Right. Well, I think it's an awesome name and the website looks cool. So we might just dig into our first question. And perfect. This is probably not going to be the easiest question in the world for you to answer, but here we go. So <laughs> audio on YouTube for podcasters, is that evil or not? And would you say that like one of the particular gurus out there that I disagree with most, would you say that it's fake video? So you may not like this, but I, I think I heard a podcast where one of the gurus was talking about that. And I do agree that it is a bad idea to upload just the audio to YouTube. And I'll explain why. I, I am deep in the YouTube search algorithm. I, I I do way too much research and just get angry all the time. <laughs> so the way that the search algorithm works or the way your videos get distributed is based on watch time. So if you get a lot of watch time, so if you have a 30-minute video and people watch 30 minutes, that's going to be, that's going to look really good for your channel. So it will rank higher in the search results. It'll get distributed to more of your subscribers. It'll get recommended to more people in the sidebar. However, on YouTube, from my personal experience, when I've come across podcasts that just had a static image, I've been so turned off that I've just skipped right past it in five seconds, 10 seconds. So the really low watch time or the fact that that video drove me to click off of YouTube will ultimately make the process of uploading your audio to, to YouTube, I guess, moot. It would be a waste of your time because you may be uploading it, but nobody's going to be getting it distributed to them because the majority of people who are on YouTube are looking for actual video content rather than audio content. Um, obviously, as I mentioned before, I'm here ready to get proven wrong here, so I'm happy that I've got an expert on <laughs> There's two things that that basically come to mind that I'd like to just throw your way. One is mm -hmm. if the non-visual aspect of YouTube was not a focus and it was something that just say, as you're saying, people will more likely than not click off something that's not, I would say maybe it's because it's not, it has no visual engagement. Right. Yeah. Then why is it built into YouTube Red that offline listening is actually a feature? And they're actually charging money for that. I would assume that's from an analytical basis that they know that people do use the platform to listen offline. And two, I think, 
No, uh, just, sorry, I'll just ahead. throw the next question out. Now, I might actually have forgotten what that one is. Just go ahead. You can probably shoot that one down while I think of my next one. Okay. Okay. So with the offline, uh, the download a YouTube video with YouTube Red, I don't view that as download audio content to listen while the screen is off. I view that as, are you going on a plane trip and you won't have internet? Download a couple videos and watch them that way. I'm sure that there are people who do use YouTube to download a, their podcast and listen to it. Isn't it a feature of the YouTube Red, though, that you can actually close the, the device completely and actually have it just play to you? Yeah, I think that was their attempt to get you to watch, to listen to more music. Right. Because yeah. no, that makes sense. Yeah. YouTube is huge, a huge uh, search engine for, for music. So I think that's the main focus there. That one I can agree with. So I guess the other thing is, too, that when you discover as you being what I'll, I'm assuming you're a podcast power listener like me, is that exp- oh, yeah. <laughs> is, it, is the experience of actually having already discovered a better way to consume audio content before you start discovering it on YouTube, does that actually color our impressions of how valuable a YouTube audio clip is? Because if you have no exposure to an, a podcast app or to any other method of getting the content elsewhere, and that's your first experience, you're actually coming in with a less skewed perspective than what you or I would be. Because when we see that, we're going to be more quick to click off it because we know we can get it in a better experience somewhere else. Does that make any sense or am I just going down a massive rabbit hole there? No, that, that does make sense. I'm going to disagree with you though. Yeah, good, good. Because good. this is good stuff. For us, sorry, I'll just. <laughs> yeah. for, for us, we are trained already that it's okay to listen to 30 minutes of audio with no visual content. Yep. We're okay with that. The The typical YouTube user, they're not used to radio broadcasts. They don't listen to radio. They don't listen to audio dramas. They, they are used to three-minute, super quick-cut videos. So a 30-minute video on its own is going to be daunting for them to even click on. But then once they see, well, it's not even stimulating my, my eyeballs it's going to drive them off even more. And they're going to be like, well, what the hell was that called? A podcast? That seems awful. So I think uh, discovering it by word of mouth is the best way for podcasts to grow. Now, I will admit in the past, I have said one possible benefit to uploading to YouTube is the fact that it's the second largest search engine. So if you do get somebody to search whatever topic your podcast is about and see the audio, they may say, hey, that sounds interesting. I'll go ahead and subscribe on a podcatcher if they are knowledgeable enough to know what a podcatcher is. Yeah. But that's probably a really small subset of YouTube users because even looking at my videos, they're, they're five minutes long. I can't get people to watch for more than two minutes. <laughs> so I can't imagine people watching a 30-minute video that's nothing but a static image. Right. Well, I actually, I really don't have a dog in the fight and I might have sounded as though I did, but it was only really just to try and get <laughs> the truth out of Andrew today. But I just wanted to throw, <laughs> throw, throw something completely anecdotal at you. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. That's fun. I have a show called <laughs> On the Bubble Podcast and it's a very, very niche TV show based podcast where I talk about the fan campaigns that try to save TV shows. So it's about three niche levels lower than just TV itself. And the the <laughs> average show gets between a thousand total downloads for some of the more popular ones down to, you know, a hundred to 200. One of the episodes on Stargate Universe that I just pulled up on my YouTube channel here, and granted, this is the only video I've had any success with before I go any further. I've had 5,240 views, an average listen time of about three minutes, 29 thumbs up, no thumbs down, and about... T- 30 comments and I've never okay. I've never had that response for any podcast I've ever done in audio ever just that little concentration of interactions with real human beings there people talking backwards and forwards them talking to each other if that wasn't on YouTube I would never have actually seen the community that exists around the show or could exist actually right in front of me and just by having that there I've learned things about the show I was trying to be too journalistic and I wasn't actually being opinionated enough. And since having this video and seeing the way that people that are into talking about cancelled TV talk about it, I've actually learned things that I didn't know about. So, and I mean, there's one comment on here that actually really made my day. 
this was great, dude. And a thumbs up. Well, I, I think right there you may have proved everything that I've said to be wrong. Because if, if you just get one video that gets that type of an engagement, maybe five of them start to download your podcast regularly. Yeah. So, so, so you may have proven me wrong. I, I'm, no, no, I'm I, sitting here I, yelling about an algorithm, but <laughs> I definitely had not. And this is obviously an aberration and I'll, I'm happy to admit that, that I just think that it's so rare as podcasters, particularly when a lot of the time, if you're a hobbyist or an enthusiast, you feel like you're pushing out content more than you're getting response for it. Yeah. This was one of the few windows I've ever had into my audience for that show. And if it wasn't the YouTube comment comment system in the social aspect, I don't think I ever would have known those things. So purely anecdotal, just that, I guess this video is why I've had mixed feelings. Otherwise, yeah, I normally just go with the data and I'd be more than willing just to believe you out of hand. But now, now I think, I think you could possibly get very similar uh, levels of engagement if you were to roll out a video aspect to that podcast. So for my podcast, because I throw it on YouTube, I only get maybe 200 to 400 listens on YouTube per episode, but I'll get 10 or 15 comments on each episode and 20, 20 thumbs up or so. So it's a very low level number of views, but the level of engagement is really surprising for the level of the, or the, the size of the audience there. Yeah. So I guess it's probably really selfish of me to say, but I'd hate the idea that I was deprived of actually experiencing what it really feels like to have someone, you know, that is actual word of mouth there that's going on when the first comment is, hey, this was really, really good. Well done. And then the people that see it probably think, well, someone's watching this and apparently it's not too bad. <laughs> so, and, and, and that's the real benefit of YouTube. It's so easy to interact. Yeah. For podcasting, it's you got to go open up your email. You got to remember what the heck the email that they gave was. You got to type out a message. But on YouTube, it's I'm going to click a thumbs up. That took what? A fraction of a second. I'm going to write a comment. That was great. How long did that take? A second. Yeah. But it had a big impact on you. So YouTube is so easy to get interaction back and forth. And for you to actually contact back, it's so easy. And then other people see, wow, this podcaster is actually replying. That's awesome. I'm going to leave a comment. Yeah, agreed. So I think that what it's made me realize is that there's probably a market out there that, and I hate to use the word market, but I chose to use the word market. There's people out there <laughs> that are maybe want a more visually engaging visual experience to go along with something that they're interested in. So I think I agree with you that from a long-term perspective, having just a square image on an audio player that plays on YouTube, probably not going to work for most people most of the time. So, yeah, we can probably put a nail in that one. I think I agree with you, even though in my own experience, it's not right. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to say? Well, to be honest, I think the reason I had the most, uh, I really don't like the idea of newsjacking, and I think this particular guru using the word fake news was mm -hmm. a little bit inappropriate. And for the fact that it's actually not fake, it's an actual video file. So yeah, he's, he's always going on about <laughs> being specific, this particular guy. And then he was completely not when it came to his own content. So, yeah, I, I don't agree with the term fake video. It is a video, but it's not what people are expecting on the platform. So they may feel a little bit shafted or a little bit tricked into clicking on it. But I don't agree that it's a fake video. Agreed. And I've had people comment to me before about the artwork I have for my show is very, very detailed. And it actually works better on YouTube because you can really actually see the story that's happening in the artwork. I think a lot okay. I think a lot of podcasters, mine is completely animated. Whereas I think if you've just got the name of a show and there's no actual story to the art, I can't imagine anyone's gonna watch it for more than a few seconds. So Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Moving on. This is probably not gonna be quite as <laughs> quite as uh, big a question, but it might actually Actually, now I think about it, this one might hurt a little bit. What makes microview channels relevant? And are they actually worth watching? So first, I'll answer if they're worth watching. Absolutely. I will say watch as many reviews of the same microphone as possible because as controversial as a thing, as, as it is to say this, I think microphones sound very different on different people's voices 
So it's a good idea to listen to, oh, this person has a really bassy voice. So, and it sounds really nice on that voice. Oh, Bandrew has a really obnoxious mid high frequency voice and it sounds terrible. I'm not going to buy that because my voice sounds similar. And as far as what makes a good mic review channel, I'm biased. <laughs> I'm biased because I started making videos with the information that I thought was useful. And I think for me, what would make a good mic review channel is try to be unbiased about your approach to microphones. Don't say this microphone company sent me a mic for free, so I'm going to give it a positive review. If it's a bad sounding microphone, say it's a bad sounding microphone. Also use the dang thing. Use it in different scenarios because everybody has a different room. Everybody has a different use case that they're going to want to buy the microphone for. So somebody may have been thinking, I'm going to buy the Heil PR40 and I'm going to use it to talk into. I'm going to record my guitar. I'm going to record my acoustic. And then they came across my video and said, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't do that. So I think there is a lot of value in uh, mic reviews. And I think just demonstrating the thing. Don't don't talk about how your day is. Don't talk about how nice the packaging is. I, I don't see any value in that. I see value in demonstrations. I, I, I that that's my take. I don't know. <laughs> no, agreed. And I'm a little bit of a gear nut, and I always have been. And back in the my days in a progressive rock band, I got accused of having gear acquisition syndrome quite often. So I'm oh, yeah. so I'm always watching mic review videos, even though I've got the. Rode NTG3, which is about when I imagine what my voice sounds like recorded, this mic gets me as close to that as I can get without spending thousands of dollars. But I'm, yeah. I'm still out there looking at videos and there's just so many of them that they're talking about how nice the, the packaging is or what's in the box and all this sort of stuff. And then you get to the end of the video and you're like, okay, well, we didn't actually hear the microphone once during that yeah. whole video. <laughs> So you obviously, you set out with the intention, I'm assuming, of making that the core of your operation is the mic being used at all times. Is that? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I took the approach of, I'm an idiot. What would help me make a decision of if I want to buy this microphone? Because I am an idiot. I, I don't know a lot of stuff. So I the, the way that I wanted to know if I would buy this microphone is, do I like how it sounds? Not, oh, does it look cool? Not, oh, it comes in a really nice foam package. It was, does it sound good on a guitar? Does it sound good on a voice? Does it pick up a lot of reverb from my room? How does it actually sound? So I just approached it like, if I was new to microphones, what would I want to know? And a lot of people don't take that approach. They take the approach of everybody is has been researching audio for 25 years. They've been working in studios for 20 years professionally. And, and that's just not the case. The majority of people on YouTube are, I hate to say it, young people who don't know much about audio at all. They're gamers. They saw PewDiePie made $10 million, and they want to do that now too. So... It's just trying to make it as accessible as possible to help make YouTube sound less crappy. It's it's purely a selfish thing. I just don't want to click on a video and hear some crappy audio. One of the things that I, I guess, having used and owned a lot of microphones and churned through them to a certain degree over the last six or seven years of being a podcaster, I think one thing that I can tell you're doing is when you say, I haven't done anything but you know, raise the volume, as in level the sound. Mm -hmm. A lot of other channels who say that, I know that that's not all the production they've done. Because, right. they're, because they're experts, they've got a reputation for being a studio engineer or whatever. They just can't help themselves but do some kind of treatment and mastering on the file. That's Yeah. And you can just hear it in the tonality of the actual recordings when you're listening really closely. They're being compressed. They might have a multiband running on them, like a really light one. And or the people who are demoing the videos, you might have seen the video for the Rode Procaster. It's one of the greatest Australian broadcast voices in the country. It's the guy who's demoing that microphone. And mm -hmm. he's got a golden radio voice. And he's sitting about a foot away from the mic talking about how he, do it. he measures distance. And if you were to listen to that video, you would think 
I mean, I love the Rode Procaster for value, but you'd yeah. think it's literally the greatest sounding microphone that's ever been put into production. <laughs> and, Little do they know that the person speaking into it is probably a $500 an hour kind of guy. Yeah. And he's been doing radio for and voiceover. I think he says in the video for something like 40 years. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just crazy that people would look at that and think that's the sort of sound I'm going to get out of that thing out of the box. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess other than your own channel, and obviously I would encourage people who are listening to this to go to Bandra's channel because I know that it's no bullshit and it's just the truth of what the mics sound like on the, his particular voice. But is there any other mic channels that you actually can recommend people go to? Yeah, so I 100% love a channel called Booth Junkie. He takes more of an approach of a professional voiceover artist, and he has a completely different approach to me. So I try to make my videos as short and to the point as possible, where if I say, um, I'll cut it out. Because I don't want to have a five-minute, ten-second video when it could have been five minutes and five seconds. He takes a completely different approach where it's much more conversational. And he'll have a 15 or 20-minute review of a microphone. And I don't know. I think he's just a really likable guy. But most of the time, I would avoid a microphone review that's 20 minutes long. But he's such a likable guy and he has such a golden voice. And I'm just like, yeah. I'll listen to it. I'll, and, and he's also a non-bullshit kind of guy. He will actually say, I don't like how this sounds or I do like how this sounds. I don't necessarily agree with all his opinions on certain microphones, but I know that he's not just saying this is great because a company sent it. Right. So, so I really like Booth Junkie if you're a professional voiceover artist or another one is called Podcast Mike. Yeah, that's it's it's a very similar approach to what I do, uh, but he does a lot more just mainly broadcast dynamics, which I just can't afford to do all the time. But he's done nothing but those. And I can't imagine the bill that he gets. It's just oh, it, it hurts my brain to think about. Yeah, there's a lot of very similar mics that he's testing there. And yeah, yeah that's a that's a nice channel. So I'll throw one last one in there, and it's it's Gunna Geek Gear. That is actually Stargate Pioneer, who was a guest on this podcast. It's his gear review channel with his co-host of Better Podcasting, uh, Stephen Jondrew. And they're just starting out, and they did a, a roundup of, I think, seven or eight different broadcast dynamic microphones, and it's just amazing to watch that, and it's so much fun. I didn't tell Stargate Pioneer when he was on the show, but my housemate is into some kind of YouTube thing at the moment where you talk and then people go to sleep to it. I don't know what it is that he's making, but he he bought a Yeti into the house, an actual real Yeti, oh. and I walked out and it was on the <laughs> lounge room t- coffee table and I almost fell over. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to give you uh, an unpopular opinion. I don't think the Yeti is as bad as everybody gives it flack for being. I think it's a perfectly fine microphone. I just think people are using it for the wrong applications. Yeah. So for a beginner musician, I think that is probably a perfect microphone because it sounds fine on the voice. It's a fairly neutral sound. Uh, It'll allow you to play around with stereo so you can mic up an acoustic guitar and and just have your mind blown just oh my god it's a stereo image it sounds like i'm in the room with it and it'll just blow a beginner's mind yeah and i i I just think people think oh i'm gonna buy this and be a podcaster it's not a good podcasting mic but for other applications i think it's a great microphone it's just i don't think it gets i don't think it deserves the amount of hate that it gets no well i've heard a lot of people who sound really good on that like i used to do an interview show back in 2012 and I had several people that sounded really great that didn't tell me until the end of the interview when I asked them just out of interest what microphone they were using because they sounded so good. And a lot of them said they were yeah. using the Yeti Pro, which must be some kind of fan- yeah. fancy version of the Yeti. I'm not sure what the difference is. but So so the main difference there is it has an XLR output and it also does uh, high-resolution recording. So I think it goes up to, I don't know if it's 24-bit, it may be 16-bit, but it goes up to 192 kilohertz, I think. So you can get higher resolution. I think it may have cleaner preamps. But it, 
I don't think it's worth the extra $130 that it costs. Well, it's funny that you say that the Yeti's not as bad as people say because I, I actually borrowed it to test it the other day. And mm-hmm. I might put out some of the tests into this particular podcast feed at some point. If I if I actually said anything worth listening to, I'll have to go back and listen to it. <laughs> if it's if it's valuable stuff, I'll chuck it out there. But yeah. And ruffle some feathers. Uh, I don't care. I mean, I've been using, I mean, I've owned all these dynamic mics and the two I've used most. For a couple of years, I used an MXL USB 009, which is at the time was a quite expensive USB microphone. And that sounded really good on my voice. And now I'm using a shotgun condenser mic. So I know I don't have the greatest voice in the world, but the condensers do more heavy lifting for me than what the dynamics do. Because I'm not blessed. Yeah. I'm not blessed with one of those great radio voices. So the <laughs> Oh, yeah. I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was actually just to go break the fourth wall a little bit. I was talking to Bandrew before today's interview. I think it was over Skype, maybe at that point. And I was saying that the nasal tone is actually an Australian staple. So he had nothing to worry about being on this show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we were, we were going to talk, I think about the Heil PR40 versus the SM7B, but we might actually have junked the Heil PR40 enough today for people to realize yeah, not yeah. neither of us would recommend that microphone. So no, I am not a fan of it. I, I, in my review, I mentioned that I've heard it sound good on Leo Laporte's voice. Yeah, but yesterday I went back and listened to it again, one of Leo's podcasts, and maybe I'm just too used to the dull sounds of the SM7B, but it was just so grating on the ears, even though he has such a beautiful low radio voice. It, I, I don't like that microphone, but for some people, hey, if that's your personal preference, more power to you. I'm not going to tell you not to buy it. It's up to you, but I wouldn't do it. My voice is starting to die. As I mentioned to Bandrew before today's conversation, we had our work uh, holiday party yesterday and yeah, I had way too many beers. So that's definitely a podcast survivalist story. We like having those on the show. (laughs) And I guess just before we go today, when it comes to your music, how involved are you in the music scene or do you have any projects happening? And for anyone, this isn't going to be for the rest of this conversation podcast related. It's more just music nerd related. So did you want to tell us something about your music before we sign off today? Yeah, so I, I used to be a lot more plugged in. I did the whole touring around the U.S. thing, uh, played in the metal band, did the whole record thing. It was a lot of fun, but the metal scene got to be a bit too violent, so I just took a step back and and went back to school, got a master's, and now I just, I just screw around and, and play metal for fun. And maybe one day I'll put the music out there, but I, I don't really have any... I, I gave up on the dream of being a famous musician who makes millions of dollars and tours around. <laughs> I used to run a venue and we had most of the four to 600 people a night bands come through. So the bigger, mm-hmm. the bigger independent acts in Australia were all stopping at the hotel that I used to manage the entertainment for. And those guys were making $10,000 a night in my hometown and in Sydney and Melbourne over four or five shows, probably three or four hundred thousand dollars, and they were on a ten to twenty dollar a day allowance. Wow. Yeah, and hopefully I'm not speaking too out of house there, but these were big bands, and they just did not live a good lifestyle. And then they would get all the money at the end of the tour, you know, get it. Okay. And then, but then they would have to because it's such a small market here. It'd be the same as if you only toured California, but yeah. the population here is even smaller than that. <laughs> so yeah, they basically have to last. 12 months or an entire album cycle off one or two tours worth of income. So over the course That's of... That's insane. Yeah, so they were only really living, you know, it might sound funny, but labourers get paid really well in Australia and so do tradesmen. They're probably living the life of your average, you know, apprentice electrician. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like a McDonald's employee here. Yeah, like a McDonald's manager type deal. Yeah. <laughs> and these are guys that were oh, on the front page of magazines and in national papers and have film clips on the television and stuff and... Yeah, it's a tough market, the music market. I got out of it, so. Yeah. yeah so so do you just do it for fun? Yeah, well, the problem is that I come from a progressive rock background. So literally, if I ever if I write something that isn't really, really great, I just think it's f***ing awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. My, my approach is if I write something and it doesn't make me laugh, thinking that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, 
then I, I think it's garbage. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I love just thinking, I, I love poking fun of the popular genres by just going over the top and kind of diving headfirst in the, into whatever the cliche approaches are. And, and it just always makes me laugh. Yeah, actually, I might send you a clip to this guy I found on YouTube the other day. As I've been spending more time on YouTube, he deconstructed the, uh, I can't remember what genre of metal it was that he was creating, but he basically went beat by beat and section by section through a whole song and he wrote it with all of the cliches all in one song. And it took, I'm going to have to, yeah, send me that clip. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. It's very funny. So, okay, just to finish up for today, did you just want to let us know where we can find you, Bandra, online? And maybe is there one or two pieces of content that you really think are real gems that you want people maybe to start with? So first, I guess you could find me on Twitter, at Bandra Says or at Podcastage. Uh, on YouTube, Podcastage, just search that, it'll pop up. One piece of content to start with, I, I guess the most popular one would probably be the best USB microphone under $100. That one was a nightmare scape to make. It was <laughs> because you can't have multiple USB microphones recording at the same time. So I switched back and forth between 17 different USB microphones about four times for different tests. It took probably eight hours to make it. It was a nightmare. <laughs> so so that one may be a good starting point. I think just the amount of blood that you spilled doing that, we should just watch out of <laughs> obligation. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll link all those up in the show notes for today's episode and also a link to all of the shows, etc. that Bandrew does. Is there anything else you wanted to say to those hobbyists and enthusiast podcasters out there keep having fun doing it if it stops being fun retool your podcast and make it fun again because you're you're likely not getting paid to do it so why the hell would you be miserable make it fun man there's no reason it can't be fun exactly i'm doing that with a new show myself other than this one i'll put everything else on the back burner pretty much so and yeah. and it's the most fun i've had in years getting these first Perfect. first few episodes out so Excellent. Well, thank you, sir. And yeah, all the best for these upcoming videos. I hope they go really well. And yeah, good luck with the podcast in the immediate future. And hopefully we can talk again. Absolutely, Josh. Anytime. Let me know. 